Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Hope you're starting off the week well. Hope you had a restful weekend full of rest, <laughs> the big R word, and uh, lots of joy and pleasure. And if not, it's the beginning of the week. It still takes some time to say, well, I need to find something every single day to do right rooted in self-care joy pleasure and rest and um want to kind of plan that out for my week as well we're always trying to center that decenter a lot of other things practicing setting better boundaries uh dms we'll be sliding into those but if you got a dm for us you can drop it in the dms on our loveland ig page anything you want to know about we're here to answer your questions we're here i'm here producer alex is here too uh, and want to welcome all the new listeners to the show. I know we are now starting an hour early, um, but uh, I want to just get into some vaccination talk. We're going to jump right in before we get into the rest of the show. Uh, Johnson & Johnson, you know, that has been put on pause, and I wanted to just kind of share some information. This is coming out of John Hopkins School of Public Health. They released some information just trying to clarify the J&J pause so as to not have people panicking. So uh, last week, CDC and the U, uh, U.S. Food and Drug Administration recommended pausing the distribution of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Okay, so over the weekend, again, understandably, Johns Hopkins released some information just to kind of follow up on that. So they were like, listen, this is what everyone needs to consider, those that might be uh, vaccinated with it in the future or those that already have been. And we want to keep in mind that this pause is not permanent, right? Right now it's for further investigation and that, you know, taking the time to look into things as they emerge is part of the system actually working, right? It's kind of like when Fauci kept changing his recommendations. People were like, oh, we can't even trust him. No, he's working with updated information as it comes out around a novel virus that we've known about for less than a year. And the fact that vaccinations, which can take so much longer, were rolled out in a few months, uh, what was it, six, seven months? That's profound. So this is a sign that the system's working. But what do we need to know? What do we need to consider? Okay, so why did they pause it? Well, U.S. health authorities recommended pausing it when six women, right, that's what we have up to this date, six women, under the age of 50 developed rare blood clots after the shot, okay? Six people. And my heart goes out to their families because that's heinous. Only, even one person, you know, being somehow impacted negatively is not okay. Um, but for context, seven million doses have been administered thus far prior to the pause. Seven million. And six people had a blood clot issue out of seven million. So that's profound, right? So does that mean that vaccination is unsafe? No. That's not what we're framing it as. It's not that it's unsafe. It's it's safe for most people, and that's the case with any vaccination or any medication. There's people that can't take a variety of things, right? Um, 
and uh, safe for most people and won't cause any adverse events, nothing severe, but a pause is being put on so we can do what we call a data review. And that's going to give us more accurate information about possible side effects, even if it's small, small percentage, very rare ones. We still want to have all the information, right? So that's a good thing. Again, that's a sign that the system's working. Um, we have to be responsive to any safety concerns, to any adverse effects, to any questions that we have. And the FDA and the CDC have lots of different systems in place and uh, are investigating that and will continue to, right? And it's important, again, that we keep framing that. That doesn't make something unsafe. Um, anything that you put in your body, foods, right? Basic general medications have the possibility of creating allergic reaction and adverse response. And so it's always about better understanding that so people can make a more educated decision. Uh, will this affect confidence? Well, possibly. And that's why I'm reporting on this. Uh, in the short term, that might make people really, really unsure about taking that vaccination or anyone for that matter because of how new everything is. But it's about, this is about a strengthening longer term ongoing confidence in the system of vaccinations, right? And so that's why we're putting a pause on it. Again, that's a good sign. That's what you want to see happen. People rushing in, putting a pause, doing some further investigation. Um, and we want to look at these uh, events. They're being transparent, so that's important. Uh, so what happens next? Well, basically, the CDC Advisory Committee is going to review it. FDA will analyze the results. Um, and that would lead to something that could be impactful on a wider scale, right? Different updated vaccination policies that are specific for this or others ongoing, better guidance for those that are administering it, and also better understanding of possible treatment symptoms that could emerge so we can have people on the lookout for that and the public better advised. So if you've already gotten the vaccination, um, not unless they're saying, this is a quote, I'm gonna read a quote, not unless you've had, should you worry, not unless you have experienced side effects like severe headaches, severe abdominal pain, difficulty breathing, or swollen legs about one to three weeks after vaccination. Right. So if that occurs, please contact your doctor. But if not, you're good to go. Um, what should we do in the meantime? Well, there's many vaccination possibilities that are out there, right, that are being used and allowed in the U.S. All of them are highly uh, effective and uh, the system's working. So get your vaccination. You know, I got I got mine. We're good to go. Uh, and again, that's important because we're taking collective responsibility. It's not just what are you possibly set up for? But again, what's going to impact those around you, and as we learned about Bhutan when I was talking about it prior, um, I love reporting on Bhutan, so you're gonna keep hearing a whole lot about it. Um, Bhutan is a place that has been crushing, crushing the vaccinations, and we'll, we'll talk more about that. Uh, but again, I'm always reporting on them when I can. Anyway, coming up next, we're gonna talk about what's a sign that you might need a mental health break, really important, because we wanna know things before they get there, so as to uh, not burn ourselves out, and also we're gonna be doing a little couples therapy talking about some things that predict divorce. And uh, what do they say? Knowing is half the battle. The more you know, that's how you prevent yourself from getting into deeper problems. Um, and then when we come back after all that, we're going to be doing some DMs. So uh, goddamn for us dropping our Loveline IG page. We'll be back listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about signs that indicate it is time for a mental health break. That's right, y'all. Oh, write these things down because this is something that comes up frequently, right? We talk about self-care. Self-care is so as to not get to a place of burnout, right? But we're still figuring that out. We're still working on, uh, you know, prioritizing joy, rest, self-care. So what are the things that we need to be aware of that are indicators? Well, we're headed towards, you know, needing a mental health break or we're already there. And again, we want to amp up that that self-care every day, uh, community care as well. We're talking more and more about that, that we want to be 
be there for others, help them with their burdens, whatever they are. If we can watch someone's children, give them a break, let's do that. If we can help them with resources, let's do that. If we can help them find a job, let's do that. Community care, we are responsible for those around us. We're getting away from that rugged American individualism of every man for himself, every family for himself, every neighborhood for himself, every state for themselves, every country for themselves. You can, again, choose that arbitrary line. It's all made up. It's all socially constructed. It all keeps us separated, right? But we need to be there for others. I have a collective consciousness. I buy from every country. I don't just buy American made. Why? I want everyone to have fair labor and, and, and income. I don't, I don't care more about my country than other countries. I'm not a nationalist. I care about everyone. I want everyone to get their needs met. I, I could just as easily say I only care about California. Or I could say just as easily I only care about my neighborhood or my block. They're all arbitrary ways to other. We're always othering. Ah, oh, they're a different race. Ah, oh, they're different sexual orientation. Ah, oh, they're different gender. We have so many ways to discount, dehumanize, or minimize other people, but it's about community care, right? So mental health break, though, it's really hard for people to take them. Often we use words like lazy. Oh, I was lazy over the weekend. You mean you rested? You mean you found joy and pleasure? You mean you didn't over-prioritize labor? Like, <laughs> lazy is not a thing. We have to get rid of that word, right? When we're not, quote-unquote, working, we are allowed to do whatever we want. If you want to spend the day laying on the couch, by all means, you do so. If you want to spend the day reading, cooking, having sex, whatever it is you want to do, that's your time off. <laughs> We're not using words like lazy. We're not shaming for rest, right? I still struggle with that. On Sundays, I turn my phone off. I'm not reachable on Sundays. That is my day off. I don't want to hear from anyone. And when I first started doing that, I, I thought I was being lazy because I would sleep in, because I would catch up on some shows I wanted to see because I would just eat whatever I wanted to eat. I didn't want to put anything on my schedule because my days are so scheduled to an inch of my life, you know? And then I realized I'm not being lazy. This is, this is my day off. This is part of why I'm on the planet. Purpose and meaning. I'm not just here to work, right? Disconnecting our worth and value being tied to work. Mental health needs, hard for us, right? We, we prioritize physical disability and struggles and needs. If my leg hurt or I injured myself, I'd have no problem laying on the couch. But why is mental health different? Why can't I say I've been depressed all week or I've been unable to focus because I have too many things on my mind, right? I need to actually unload my mind, right? So we're getting more holistic. So what are the main signs? Well, we're going to break them on down, but, but the main ones are you can't focus. You're feeling a little distracted. Relationships are suffering. Relationships are the most important thing in our life of all kinds. And if they're getting negatively impacted by anything, hobbies, your gym routine, workload, you need to push back and set boundaries on those things because our relationships are our mental health. That's our center point. That's what makes our life have joy and passion. Also, other signs that you need a mental health break, you're showing physical signs of stress. Nervous tics. Eyes hurt. Eyes are, have a little bit of a tick. We're feeling exhausted all the time. We're tired. Our hands hurt. For me, it's my neck. I'm doing a lot of teletherapy. My neck starts to hurt from, from directed attention at a screen. My eyes start to hurt as well, and that gives me a sign I need to cancel some sessions. I need to take time away from the screen, you know? Um, also, your self-care, whatever it is you know you need to do every day or weekly, that just isn't even on your schedule anymore. It doesn't exist. That's a sign of burnout. And finally... You just feel like you're running on empty. So we're going to break each one of those down, though, a little more specifically. So the first one is you can't focus. The inability to focus means you're trying to do too much. And that means you need to set boundaries and do less. It's not about how do I push through? How do I maintain this? You can't. You're, you're, you need a break. So when you can't focus and you're getting distracted or you're feeling overloaded, you need to start saying no. You need to power down sooner. 
you need to do less. And that's really hard for people because people usually want the solution to be some form of pushing through and doing it anyway, but it's the opposite. We need to back off when we're overloaded. We need to back off when we're stressed. You're tired, back off. Not yet to find a way. And that's why I laugh at corporate culture where they want to bring in things like yoga and meditation as a way to push through and keep going. No, people need to work shorter hours, shorter work weeks and rest more, right? So if you can't focus, you have too much stress or you're trying to put your attention into too many different areas. And again, remember, stress is deadly. Stress is literally deadly. It's linked to cardiovascular disease, right? Musculoskeletal diseases, psychological disorders, right? It's horrifying. So if you have too much on your plate, ask for help. Try to delegate it to other members. That's right. Hey, honey, when I come home after working all day, I can't take on these five things. Let's divvy these up. Let's give these to other people or we'll get them done this weekend. But don't keep pushing yourself to be a high producer, right? Or have high levels of productivity. It's about needing to do less and backing off. Um, you can limit some distractions, prioritize your time, but it's really about setting boundaries at that point. Um, next, again, is what I think is one of the most valuable signs that you need a mental health break. Your relationships are suffering. You're not as available. You're not around. Or when you are, you're not as focused or present, right? That's the most important part of your life. We shouldn't let other things infringe on that or leak into that problematically, right? And what happens in these other areas of our lives show up in the, the core parts, right? So what happens in your, in your hobbies and your passions and your professional life, it's going to impact your personal and vice versa, right? And so family, social life, friends, we don't want them to be taking a back seat, right? And so that's why we're setting boundaries and we're pushing back. Um, studies are showing, right? I'm looking at a study right here. Uh, this is actually by the health insurance company Cigna found that nearly half of all Americans report feeling lonely. And I think that's because we're working too much. We're too distracted. We're feeling the need to be too productive. We're not able to show up in our lives. The things that give us purpose and meaning, our relationships. Take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to keep talking about signs that you need a mental health break. Listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about signs that you need a mental health break and we're looking at relationships. Your relationship starts suffering. That is no good. That is no good. Family, friends, our social lives, those are important parts of our mental health. And that's why I, I, I push back when people feel bad saying that they're trying to prioritize their social life, even with a loved one, your boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, or wife. Hey, yeah, unfortunately I can't do that on Saturday. I can't help you clean out the garage. I'm seeing my friends. Like that's important. That should, co that should come before some other things, right? Um, half of all Americans report feeling lonely. You know, we're working longer hours. We're not taking days off, and that's putting stress on our personal relationships. But then we come home and we have more emotional or literal labor at home as well. We need to push back on that too. Even if someone's been home all day, um, they need to also be aware of that as well, right? This is non-gendered. Social connection is the core part of our mental health. We need to prioritize that above all. So we're, so what are we doing? Well, we're not missing family responsibilities anymore, right? We're showing up to those things. We're being present when we show up. It's no longer okay to say, sorry, I'm going to be distracted while I'm there. Sometimes it is a case. I'm glad that people are calling that out and asking for accommodation around that. But like, you need to be setting boundaries on other things if it's not letting you show up in the way you need to. Okay. Starting to show physical signs of stress. Well, that's absolutely a sign that you need a mental health break. We're damaging our bodies. That fatigue the American Psychological Association has found 
that work strain, high demands, coupled with low decision-making latitude is associated with increase of things such as coronary disease. So when we start to feel the stress physically, most likely it's already been impacting us mentally, right? So we have to acknowledge that we're feeling overloaded, right? And that means again, dropping the bar on ourselves. Sometimes we have the expectations are too high. Maybe we need to leave things unfinished and come back to them. Maybe we need to delegate. Maybe we need to pass something along. We're talking about all the different domains of our life, right? Um, also when self-care just goes by the wayside, that for me is a powerful one. When I know what I need to do every day and I know what I need to do every weekend. And if I'm not able to focus and create those things, well, then I'm not taking care of myself. And I'm doing that to the detriment of over-focusing on something else. And without me, I am nothing. I am my tool in every domain of my life, right? It's not just about my labor. It requires me, right? So we all need to know what our daily requirements are for self-care. And we need to not let those get pushed out or deprioritized, right? Um, don't be skipping your breaks or your lunches. Don't be missing important appointments. Don't be neglecting your personal private downtime, time for joy, right? Time for rest. You have to get in the habit of doing that. Um, I've been, I've been really tracking that every day. Am I getting these three to five things in? And if not, then I'm doing too much. And those things, my self-care aren't the things that get squeezed out. It's work, right? Um, finally, you're running on empty. You're tired all the time, parts of your body are hurting, maybe you're not sleeping well, you're not eating the foods that make you feel good. Oh man, so now we're talking about your physical energy, your emotional energy, you're not fueling yourself, you're not resting. This is when I tell people maybe you need a vacation. Some people get to the point where it's not just a matter of these small tweaks or fixes. They literally need time away from everything. But I don't believe people even know how to take vacations. People will still take expectations with them, right? I just remember that with my family. My dad was still playing the role of dad. It was still stressful for him because he was organizing excursions, making sure everyone's where they need to be, planning our dinners. And it was like he gets he gets to also let go of all that and say, not necessarily every man for himself, but let's delegate. Chris, you're going to be responsible for meals. My mom, you're going to be responsible for getting everyone together. To whoever else is with us, you're going to be responsible for handling excursions. I get, I get to not play dad while I'm here as well. And so I want to remind people, whatever your roles are in life, you have to find spaces and time where you're letting go of all of them and you're not having to necessarily fulfill that while having a break or a vacation. Because then what are you doing? You're then basically running your life the same way, but just in a different location, right? Don't take that with you. Leave everything behind. When I go on vacation, I, I put my phone away. I'm not reachable. I don't want to see social media. I don't want to know what's going on in the news. I don't want to hear from anyone or anything. I'm letting go of my, my labels and my expectations and I'm just being centered in rest, self-care and pleasure. And we need to be doing that on our weekends as well. I can't tell you, I would say 90% of the clients I'm working with right now are all exhausted and burnt out. And the problem is they need to be setting boundaries and they're trying, they're somehow thinking, help me figure out a way to maintain and push through. And it's like, no, that's more damage. The way is the solution is how do I back off, say no, turn things down and set boundaries. Right. But again, we're taught as good Americans to work hard, to burn ourselves out. It's that whole grind culture thing. And it's creating physical Physical issues, literal disease, literal disease, psychologically and physically. So we're not doing that anymore. We're not, we're not burning ourselves out. So those are the signs that it's time for a mental health break and we're trying to do our best to not actually even have to get there. And that's why I hate words like resilient. Don't be resilient. Create your life as best as you can so that you don't have these forces that require resilience. You know what I mean? Make a, build a functional life to the best you can and then we don't need words like that.
All right, coming up next, we're going to be sliding into those DMs. If you got a DM for us, drop it in our Loveline IG page, whatever your question is. Someone else might be wondering the same thing. So by helping you, you're helping them. And if you want to check out past episodes of Loveline, you can do so by going to wearechannelq.com, scrolling down, finding my face, clicking on it. Bam, there they all are. Stick around, though. DM's coming up next. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Today's question says, hey, Dr. Chris, this might be kind of a dark question. Might be interesting, though. (laughs) Is a man less likely to be violent if he has one or more strong female relationships in his life, like a mother, sisters, etc.? Ah, interesting. I like questions like this. So here's the thing. And I, and I don't say this in a uh, flippant way. I, I truly mean this. We all have this thing called psychology. And uh, psychology is bio, psycho, and social. It's really the culmination and the intersection of your biology, which genetics matter for sure, but they're not destiny. Nothing is predetermined. Your socialization really deeply impacts what will be expressed, how it is expressed. Um, and then your psychology which is also built by genetics. It's also built by socialization. It's also built by fantasy and experience. So all those factors are what come together to create who someone is or how they encounter something. And that's why two children can be raised in the same family, but yet they have completely different lives because they have different social worlds, different genetics, right? One's taller, one's shorter, one's larger bodied, one's uh, more straight or smaller bodied. All those factors are going to impact how someone sees themselves, how they see the world, how they're socialized. So no two people have the same experience, not even twins. Um, My bigger point though, is you can think of something also like uh, the ability to maybe play the piano really well, right? Someone might be born with the innate capacity to be great at the piano, but if they're from a family where they are never introduced to a piano, never sit in front of piano, never uh, are given the uh, opportunity to express interest or get lessons, that'll never manifest. It doesn't matter that genetically that possibility existed. Situations were never created in which that could be expressed and seen. And so there's a lot of maybe some of the top athletes or artists or musicians exist right now, but it'll never come to fruition because they're never given the opportunity to engage into those things, right? So all that stuff matters. So all that to say also that based on early childhood experience, that can make us move towards or away from something. You know, someone who comes from an abusive childhood where their parents are abusive, that might set them up to be abusers themselves or quite the opposite. Where as a result of that, they work very hard and are very conscious about always being soft and always being loving and always being empathetic. It can go in either direction. So uh, you can't really answer a question like that. You can look at some stats, but that's not going to speak for everyone's experience. So sure, I would, but let me say also like this, if you're raised with a mother or a sister, it depends how they perceive their gender um, and how they're engaged and engaged in the world. You know, we can have a lot of female role models, but they subscribe to traditional norms and gender roles, right? And they present one way. Or the opposite, and it influences us. You know, I was raised in a family that's very open-minded, very liberal, uh, really big on education. And so I was always traveling the world. I was always being introduced to different cultures and different individuals. Um, I got a lot of education myself in a multitude of larger cities. And all those things set me up to have a certain perspective and understanding of the world. Um, 
and that matters. So your your the bulk of your question is violence. Um, if the sister and mother, okay, the strong female role models for this person were violent themselves, well, that'll normalize violence. That will train this this man in that that came from that family to see violence as acceptable, possibly to have access and comfort around utilizing violence, and to think that violence can coexist with love if that's what his family showed him, or the opposite. He realizes how oppressive that was and chooses to be different. So you can't answer questions like that. And sometimes people emerge as both, where it's situational. There's some moments where they're more violent, other ones where they're less. And so it's always about the person's consciousness of who they want to be, who they were, what parts of themselves they want to keep quiet, what parts of themselves they want to have emerge and live from. So it's hard to answer questions like that. You know, I think it's really about an adult sitting down and saying, let me look at the impact I have on others. Let me look at what kind of person I am as a friend, a loved one. And uh, what changes do I want to make or need to make? What are the kinds of things that people are constantly reflecting back to me? And let me work on that, you know? Um, yeah, so that's that. Oh, Rachel, when we come back, we're going to talk about how to divorce-proof your relationship. And uh, then we'll be sliding back into some DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop it in our Loveline IG page. And we'll answer it for you. And uh, you want to check out past episodes of Loveline, you can do so by going over to wearechannelq.com. There it all is. All right, we'll be back talking about ways to divorce-proof your life and your relationships. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back and uh, going to try to help divorce-proof your life. I know this actually applies to everyone though. This is uh, basic general good relational stuff I'm trying to make sure at least a couple times a week I'm weaving in all the relational stuff because that's what comes up in my office all the time You know, what I mean every now and then you're like, oh, I thought everyone got the got the memo. They didn't uh, So there's a couple things again. I'm constantly uh, referencing different different um, Institutes and organizations research around couples and marital happiness and all that and again it applies to everyone it, It's not just about married couples or exclusive couples. That's what I like about it. These are more universal generalizable perspectives um, This even applies to things like parenting right and 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 the reason why I like including that and for some it might seem like I'm kind of pulling that out of left field is that Parenting is a relationship and the most ideal relationship for parenting would be very similar to how we treat our friends and our, and our romantic partners, which is a little more equality based that children do have rights and children should get to say no and set boundaries and practice autonomy and, and these things apply. And I always think back to my childhood and I see some of the, the misapproaches that maybe my parents engaged in. And I'm going to start with that one. Um, a harsh startup. That's when the number one relational problems, if depending, I mean, I get it. Things happen right? You have feelings, you're feeling your feels. There's a lot going on in your body when you're approaching your partner or a topic, but just like a good parent, you need to approach from a regulated place because the, the thing I haven't been talking enough about is we're thinking in what I call relational terms. We're thinking relationally, which means we're considering the impact of what we're about to say or do in our tone and our behavior on the relationship in question. And we want this person to stay in relationship with us and to us. And so we're not trying to, um, burn it down, burn it out, shove them out, right? You're not talking to your enemy. In a harsh startup, we shouldn't really be using it with anyone, but that should be applied for people that we don't care about how they feel as a result of our conversation. But if you're approaching someone you care about, a friend, a loved one, or a child, or your kid, well, the assumption is you're trying to maintain the relationship. And so you have to think relationally, how is my approach impacting it? And if you're starting off harsh, 
Not good. That's one of the number one things that burns out relationships is the person approaches in a harsh, conflictual way. Start soft. Stats show us, ready? 96% of the time, 96, you can predict the outcome of a conversation based on the first three minutes, which means how they enter it. I shared this anecdote before. My dad used to always say when he was pissed, Go in my office, meet me in there, I have to talk to you. That is a harsh startup. How do you think I react psychologically, emotionally, and in my body when I hear that? I'm already stressed and tense. The conversation has already not gone well, it's already been aggressive, and it hasn't even started yet, and I don't even know what we're talking about. We're at a soft startup, like, hey, Chris, do you have a minute? And I'd say, yeah, sure, what's going on? I wanted to just float something by you or talk to you about something. Even if it's serious, you can do a soft startup. Your seriousness can still be communicated but we need to do soft startups. 96% of conversations, the determination of how it ends, how it feels, how it goes, is the first three minutes. Soft startups. Let the person have their own experience of the topic. Don't already frame it as bad or negative. It already spikes the anxiety. It already spikes the aggression, right? So calm. Because again, we're talking to someone we care about, someone who we want to feel we want them to feel safe to stay in the conversation with us and in the relationship, right? We're not trying to burn it or them out, right? So again, startup matters. That's massive, right? Okay, that 96% is massive because then the content, if we, if we start calm, we start loving, we start soft, then the content is what people wind up responding to, not us, not our entry point. And again, we can't expect someone to stay calm and regulated if we ourselves are not, right? And you'll see that all the time. Someone will start intensely or harshly aggressively and then shame or yell at the other person for their response. But it's like you, you infected them with that because yes, you can make people feel a certain way, you can. It's not true when someone says, people can't make you feel anyway. Yes, they can. It's called empathy, mirror neurons, interpersonal neurobiology. Yes, we are impacted by others. We mirror them. That's called humanity. So you can make people feel things. And this is a good example. 96% of the time, you start by making them feel real bad if you start with a harsh startup. Um, second one is how you respond. The listener, the person on the receiving end, which as we said, a bulk of that is in response to how the person initiated, but how the person on the receiving end responds is very much based on their personality style, right? Their prior experiences with this person around discussions or this discussion, and also prior relationships they've had, which is why I'm constantly advocating for us to be more caring and compassionate while in and while leaving relationships so that people aren't constantly bringing forward all that baggage and always expecting things to be bad or expecting the worst, right? And that's all about that startup. But now we're talking about the response. And um, this is work out of um, Gottman. And there's basically four ways that people respond, all of them being not the best. <laughs> And they actually use the word lethal. And I agree. None of these, again, allow the conversation to be productive or to feel good or to feel safe. And if you're not trying to have a productive conversation, then what you're really just doing is trying to be nasty and attack. And that then you need to grow up. So we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to keep breaking down uh, the ways to both maintain relationships, but also just be a better person. Listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and on Odyssey.
All right, we're back and we're talking about better ways to have conversations. This this is research. I'm kind of uh, translating it a little bit. This is research that I'm taking out of how to divorce proof your relationship or marriage. And I'm making it more general relational skills because it really applies to every relationship, parent and child, friend and friend, uh, someone you love. And again, the first one we were saying is just the harsh startup. Don't do that. How you frame, enter and begin a conversation powerfully impacts how it goes and how the other person feels. And communication is all about being understood. And so it shouldn't ever be about making the other person feel bad or as though it's not safe or they can't stay connected, right? And so we're, we're using a soft startup always. And if you can't do that, well, then you need to work on self-regulation. You need to calm the heck down before you approach someone to talk about something. It will never go well if you're, if you're starting a conversation or sending a text or email from a place of agitation, which by the way, no serious discussion should ever be had over text, get the person on the phone, and if you can't, breathe, calm down, and wait until you can. It is far easier to say harsh, problematic things when there's not a human being in front of you or on the phone listening to you, right? And so that's why no serious talk over text. It's text is supposed to be checking in, quick statements, sharing a photo, or whatever it is, nothing really that deep. Okay, so then we were moving on to what about the person on the receiving end? There's a couple ways that people respond that don't further help this along, and uh, Gottman's work shows it to be lethal, and he breaks it down into four. There's more than four, but we'll go with his for a second. He says that the way people respond is criticism, contempt, defensiveness, or stonewalling. None of these are productive, none of these are good, and so these are things you wanna identify in yourself, because we always start by looking at ourselves first. We're not using this as a way to be defensive and look at others start with yourself number one do you get do you criticize that is never going to lead to a healthy relationship if you have something you want to communicate make it a request criticize criticism is saying you're bad you're wrong you never and you make it about the person their personality their character style their ethics make a request if you need something request it. hey it would mean a lot to me if you could hey moving forward can you make a request it's softer it's part of that soft startup it also feels more humanized also, contempt. If you have deep resentment for the person you're in a relationship with, start there before we even get to whatever we're talking about at the issues. You don't like this person anymore. That is the number one thing that will tank a relationship. You have to work on having that friendship. If you guys don't have a friendship at the core of your relationship, which means we like and enjoy each other, nothing else matters. Go right to that, work on that, or it's time to go. Some people, the resentment and contempt is too deep. It will not get resolved, and it's time to go. But none of these other factors matter if you do not like this person anymore. Your friend, your child, your parent, your loved one, start working on the friendship. And here are tons of people making those jokes. Oh, golf saved my marriage. My husband's never home. That's contempt. That's resentment. Work on that or get out. It's time to go. You need some couples therapy or it's time to bounce. You're making each other miserable. Why be in a relationship if you don't like them and you're always trying to make sure they're never around you? Well, then what is it you're, what, why do you psychologically need to still be in that relationship? Set them free. Set yourself free. Grow up a little bit. I know it's scary to maybe step into singledom again, but like you're making each other miserable. There's no valor in that. That is absolutely not healthy to be like, we stuck it out for 30 years. Really? You both made yourselves miserable and it was toxic. Shame on you. Like that's heartbreaking. See tons of marriages like that. You ain't staying together for the kids. They they do better with single happy parents than two miserable angry parents. Next, defensiveness. Communication's about listening. Communication's about understanding the other. There's no room for defensiveness if someone's sharing their experience with you, even if it's about you, you're listening to better understand. You're not working on your defense to tell them they're wrong. Because healthy conversations and, and communication is not about who's right or wrong. It's about this person sharing something with me. I'm here to understand. So maybe I ask 
clarifying questions, but I'm not trying to defend myself. And finally, stonewalling, which is basically that person where it's like they throw up a big wall. You're always nagging, not right now, blah, blah, and they're not even hearing and they're not even open. Don't be that person. You have to, to be in a healthy relationship, you have to be approachable. You have to be open to discussion and dialogue. You have to be open to someone holding up a mirror and saying, this is what it's like to be in a relationship with you. In fact, I mandate that all couples do that every couple months, at least once a year, sit down and say, how's our relationship been this past year? What do we want to do more of? What do we want to do less of? We've talked about that, but stonewalling is shuts it all down. Being impenetrable. You have to be willing to settle down, self-regulation, and say, we're in a relationship of whatever kind. I'm open to hearing what it's like and what changes need to be made. That's all I look for in a couple to work with them therapeutically is that they're open to hearing that. They're open to growing. They're open to change. Stonewalling, shutting everything down, shutting your partner out, that means I'm staying the same. I'm not safe to be approached or talk about things, and nothing's ever going to shift. And then the partner should go. That's the worst kind of response to get. Uh, body language, they talk a lot about, you know, um, and also finally, it's just, it's about repair attempts and that's a confusing term to some. And basically what I say, whoever's in front of me, I don't care who started it. I don't care who said what, if you want to be in and maintain a relationship, every partner has to be willing and, and open to making a repair attempt and to receive the repair attempt from their partner. Grudges help no one. Resentment helps no one. If someone's taking accountability and they're apologizing, and they're saying they want to do better, and they're telling you how they can, you accept it. And you have to be willing to afford that as well. I, again, I don't care who said or started what. If someone says to me, I need your advice, I will always say to them, go repair. Be the bigger person. Be pro-relationship. Show them how much they mean to you. Maybe you're higher functioning. Maybe you have higher mental health. Lean into that. Sometimes we are further along. Sometimes we do have a higher level functioning. And then we do have to be better. Yes, it's okay for you to always be the one to initiate that, even if you're not the one who started it. What do you care about? Being right or being in a relationship? And if you care more about being right, you have some, you have some work to do. You're not healthy. It's about the relationship. How can I help get this further along and be better? Parents have to do that. They can't be like, oh, well, my seven-year-old started it. It's like, are you kidding? You're an adult. But as adults, we need to sometimes be the bigger adult too, right? You have to be willing to do those things. People try to make all these different defensive maneuvers to not have to step into that vulnerability or those repair attempts. We get nowhere without that because relationships are about conflict. It's going to happen. It shouldn't be a lot of conflict. Please, if it is, get some work or get out. But it, conflict will emerge. It will happen, you know? Um, all right, y'all. We're going to take a little break. Stick around. Um, yeah, we'll be doing some DMs. Uh, I've got a DM for us. Drop it in our Loveline IG page. Whatever you're wondering about, we're here for you. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're going to quickly talk about uh, casual sex. A study came out looking at, is casual sex emotionally positive? The answer turned out to be yes. And a lot of people shame. They're like, oh, hookup culture. It's negative. People are harmed. Well, as always, it depends on the health of the people involved. Healthy people involved in anything tends to go pretty well. If they're not, then they're not. So whether they're participating in hookup culture or not, if people aren't so healthy, well, they're harming each other as friends or just as romance partners. So it doesn't really matter. The sex isn't as important as the people involved. Uh, but I want to break down some of the um, key points from the study because I think there's some interesting things. So this was a review of more than 70 different studies. So I love that, right? It's a cumulative uh, review, meta review. Um, and I wanted to look at the factors that predicted a better outcome around hookups and whether or not they're different for men or women, because we're still thinking in terms of gender. And what, again, just want to call it out because we're thinking intersectionally. They're just looking at male or female. 
And what's unfortunate about that is that, well, the race matters, the sexual orientation matters, their body shape and size matters. Why? Well, because the black women and white women are different. They come from different places. Hetero versus homo also matters. The gay community tends to be a little more open to casual and hookup culture. Like all these factors matter. Is this someone who's larger bodied? Okay, well, we got body shame in there. So I get really frustrated when people try to reduce it down to, we did a study on men and women as though nothing else matters. Age matters too. How old were these people that were in these studies? It's not just they're all the same as though an 18-year-old woman is the same as a 70-year-old woman. Are you kidding? The ethics are different. The social norms are different. Like it all matters. So hold all these studies and the outcomes very loosely, truly. Um, So number one, it did show primarily that people reported more positive than negative feelings about having had casual sex. Of course they did because sex is a pleasurable thing. If it's healthy people doing it and you know how to ask for what you need and talk about STIs and you do it with compassion, then we just high five at the end of it and we go off saying that was fun. It doesn't have to be any deeper than that. Uh, women, not shocking, were more likely than men to worry about the casual counters. That's right because we uh, still have sexism and slut shaming where we don't slut shame men for having a lot of casual partners. We're like high five. That's awesome. But we do for women. So it was wasn't the women's psychology, it was that socially we shame them. And understandably, they can sometimes feel shamed and stigmatized, treated as not girlfriend material or not wife material because they're empowered enough to have the kind of sex they want, right? So that's what was in there. And uh, overall encounters reviewed more positive when the partner was someone that they knew. Yeah, because sadly, that probably brought more care and compassion where hookup culture, people often hide behind the anonymity. And they're like, well, I don't owe this person you know, a lot of care and respect because it's just a hookup or it's just an app. And as I'm always saying, no, it's a human being and it does matter. And we always impact people. We leave them feeling better off or worse off and healthy people care about that. And if you know the person, they're more likely to be a little more caretaking. And that's a bummer because everyone should think that way. Everyone should take sex that seriously. You know what I mean? Where even if it's a fling and I don't know your name and it's you know behind the car in the back, which sounds phenomenal, uh, that we're still giving people care, compassion, and respect. And again, as I always say, if you're not asking the right questions, like when's the last time you were tested for STDs or STIs and talking about informed consent and all that, then you're not ready to really be having sex, period, even with a committed partner, because the psychological impact will still be the same. You don't feel empowered. You're not setting boundaries. You're not comfortable with what's happening. And it won't matter who it is. That That's the core of that. So we got to do better about that. Um, so those are the nuances. Women were more likely than men to regret it, but we talked about that, that sexism and slut shaming. We got to get over that. Uh, clear age patterns. Okay, so finally we're breaking it down in the emotional health outcomes. Um, and uh, yeah, not shockingly, sorry, I'm reading some of these as I'm looking at it. Individuals with positive attitudes towards sex tended to have better emotional outcomes with the casual sex. Yeah, sex positive people understand that sex plays many roles in our lives and that your worth and value as a person isn't determined by how much sex, sex you have, right? We're not slut shaming. We're not saying that, you know, if you have a lot of sex partners, more than I'm comfortable hearing that that makes you a bad person. We're realizing in our culture, especially for someone who's a female or a femme, that to actually have a lot of sex is an act of mental health because they're confident. They're stepping into their authenticity. They're liberated from these sexist gender norms. What a powerful, powerful thing. I like this as well. Those that were familiar with their partner, right, had more positive outcomes. First-time partners, strangers, and one-time partners usually elicited a higher level of negative valuations. That's because I think we shame ourselves. It's a fling. It's a hookup. And we still pathologize hookup culture, you know? 
Um, and the same thing was also with what they did physically, that depending on what they did sexually, that also determined how they felt. It all wraps up into, we're trying to be more sex positive. We're trying to understand that if we're being a good person, whatever we're doing as we move through our lives is acceptable. As long as we're looking at the impact we're having on others, right? We're not trying to harm anyone. We're making room for everything, right? We're not trying to roll backwards and move away from the things we're afraid of like sex and nudity. We're trying to learn how to encounter them because they're there, they're real, they exist. Right. And mental health is sexual health, sexual health and wellness. Right. We'll keep talking about it. Coming up next, we're going to be sliding into those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop in our Love Line IG page in the stories. Anything you're wondering about, we're here for you. Mental health is a really broad thing. We cover everything. And uh, as always, if you want to check out past episodes of Love Line, you know what to do. Go over to wearechannelq.com, scroll down, click on my face, and there they are. But give us a follow back on our social media. Things have been a little bit a little bit quiet. We're still getting some of the old school fans out, getting some of the new ones in. So um, we're here for you. All right, we'll be back. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. This question says, hey, oh, hey, Dr. Chris, <laughs> excuse me. How do you tell your boyfriend you think it's time to break up? Bum, bum, bum. We really don't have anything in common. And I feel like I got into this relationship for selfish reasons. Man, so black and white. I, I, I'll say this much. Um, I like how assured you are. I like how decisive you are. I like how confident you are that this isn't good. It never was good. It's not going to be good. Um, I like that kind of a self-awareness. So I think that's beautiful. Um, nothing in common, you know? And again, just to like make this a little bit of a learning lesson, it's not about having things in common as much as it's about compatibility, right? And compatibility is usually more personality based. Um, people can have totally different interests, but they respect and support the partner's difference, inter- different interests and supports them going off and living those fully. They don't have to participate and they're okay with that. Or they tr- or they find elements of it they enjoy and they do it to be with their partner, right? Sounds like you're not open or interested in doing that. So it's not really compatible on that level because you guys don't manage the lack of commonality very well, right? Because some people can have things in common, but their personality styles still just don't match up well. Um, and also you got into the relationship for selfish reasons. Look, I'm curious as to what that is, but I like the um, honesty and self-awareness of that. It was all selfish. It was all about what you could gain. It was all about you to the detriment, apparently, of this other person. I'm thankful that people realize, look, I'm not gonna be good for this person, right? This relationship, because that's what I'm hearing. How do you tell them that it's time to break up? So you're implying they don't think you need to. They do not think it's time. It apparently in some way, in some world is working and going okay for them. But you're realizing it isn't good for us. It's not good for me. It's not good for them. And that's the compassion piece, right? How do we impact others? And if you're not having a positive impact on them and most likely them not on you, it's time to go. Um, but here comes the, the, the truth. Um, how do you tell them? By telling them. Whenever someone starts with how do I, by doing. There's no right way because what you're really saying is usually it means I'm having anxiety because I know it's going to let them down or disappoint them or hurt them and I feel bad. Like that's usually what people are really just trying to communicate when they say, how do I tell someone it's time to break up? Because the truth is you sit them down and say, I know this is going to be hard to hear and it's really hard to say, but it's time to break up. That's how you do it by just saying it. But I think you're actually just saying you want to express how hard that's going to be. It's going to be difficult for you. You have some anxiety. Um, you know it's going to let them down. But there's no magic way to do it without hurting someone or feeling anxious. 
what you're doing is going to most likely hurt them, right? But we do it anyway, because that's the loving thing to do. There's no valor or mental health in sticking around and staying in something that isn't working or that or that's not what you want. Uh, is it possible this person might get angry? Maybe, right? Is it possible that they might not want to have you in their life in any capacity? Yep, that's possible. We do it anyway. I think the saddest, most unhealthy thing is people being in a relationship they don't want to be in for whatever the reason is. Because then they're miserable. And that's not the point of a relationship, right? And then they're maybe making the other person miserable. And that's also not the point of a relationship. We don't need to have them. We choose to have them. And they should be beneficial. Yep, they should make our lives happier and better. Otherwise, don't do it and you'll be better off. You know, it's not just something we need to have. And a lot of people have this fantasy of what relationships are going to bring in. And that's why they want it so desperately. And often it brings in complexity, brings in a lot of joy, but also brings in complexity. So again, as I say over and over, if you're not going to be willing to step into the, the anxiety of ending something or breaking up with someone, then you're not ready to date. And also if you're not willing to hear it's not working, you're not ready to date. We can't get mad at people for breaking up with us or ending things. We have to say thank you you know, it's hurtful. It's not what we wanted. We're disappointed, but thank you for being honest and telling me, you know? So remind yourself that you're not doing anything bad or wrong, you know, hope for the best, but be honest. You're worth it. They're worth it. You know what I mean? We got to be better. It's hard. It's one of the hardest things people do. (laughs) That's why some people just ghost and disappear, but then that creates more trauma, you know? So be honest, use the right clear words. You have to use the word breakup. So they know don't make false promises about better better timing down the road or a friendship if that's not what you're interested in. That's the only caveat I'd throw in there. You know, be very finalizing in it. All right, y'all, that is our show. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow talking about emotional cheating, which is something that I find very controversial because I think that concept is misused, misapplied, weaponized, because we do want to have truly intimate, close relationships with our friends and loved ones. Um, So we'll talk about what is emotional cheating? What are the elements of it that I actually think do ring true? And then we'll be talking about toxic relationships. Yes. DMs, always open. If you got a DM for us, got a question, always anonymous, always confidential, drop it in our Loveline IG page and uh, produce. Sir Alex will get that question to me and you'll hear the answer on air. As always, y'all, thanks for hanging out and you enjoy the rest of your night.